You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies and Recovery members. And now, coming up for air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. Hey, hi, Annie. How are you doing? Hi, good. Welcome back to Coming Up for Air. Yep, back to Coming Up for Air. And this week's topic is trust and honesty. Something I can honestly say (laughs) that um, I struggle with. I have a real tough time now with trust after going through everything that I went through, not only with my son, but with the people surrounding me my friends, my family. So trust is a really tough one for me. Well, trust is a topic that comes up a lot. I I hear every week in meetings or get messages or emails from people that say, how will I ever trust you again? How will I ever trust him again? How can I trust or how can I trust them in my home? How do I have to keep my person as safe? Things like that. So it is a, it's a major part of it. Trust when it comes to addiction and SUD, Oh, just about 10 times out of 10, trust is going to be broken because this is a, disor- a disorder of isolation, denial, and deception. So trust gets broken. Right. And I don't think I went through as much as uh, a lot of other people have gone through as far as like the stealing and the, you know, all of that chaos. Although I did, I, I did have really bad chaos in the house. But my trust was absolutely, I don't think I can ever go back to what I was before. I think previously I was very, what's the word, I guess kind of naive or or maybe I took things for granted, I guess that was the, that's the word or, or the phrase I think I would use for myself was that I took things for granted and just blindly trusted. And yeah. now I just, and, and granted, my son has been home now for a couple of years. He's, he's in recovery going on two years. And I do trust him more, but I do not trust the disease, not one bit. And it's oh, no, always, right. right, and it's always there. I, I agree. I, I think um, when trust is broken, it's similar to other relationships that get jolted by broken trust. It kind of ends the age of innocence. When there's betrayal, dishonesty, stealing, lying, cheating, whatever the case may be that was hidden and done in the dark and it was a nefarious situation, all those same feelings of shock, pain, fear, insecurity, humiliation, the burning feelings, they all come, whether it's no matter what the betrayal is because there's deception and betrayal involved and it, it, it does bring things to a jarring jolt. Right, and I and my thing with trust is that, how do I say this? My thing with trust is is not so much that I don't trust my son or I don't trust the people around me because I do. I just I don't trust that it isn't going to happen again. Right, I get I that. Right? right, and I don't I don't trust life and take for granted the things anymore. I, I know that bad things can happen. And so I've kind of lost that sense of innocent, naive, blindly going through life, 
you know, everything is wonderful. And I guess kind of you said it in a nutshell, it's the end of the age of innocence. It is. But um, I have a little bit of a different perspective on it just because I was born into an untrustworthy situation where you had to, um, I come from a family of dysfunction and deception and I was always very aware of that. So I had to make sure I felt safe and I was always hyper alert. So I did have a, you know, I've had those end of the age of innocence situations and friendships and situations like that. But I always kind of had my eye open that there were areas that you can't turn your back to. And I struggled with that for a long time. And, you know, I always played the loner rule and developed that type of personality. But then I kind of, I kind of developed into a different way of looking at trust. And I don't struggle with trust anymore. I absolutely know the reality that it can happen again and bad things happen. I mean, they've happened all my life. So I've I've never really had a big span of time where there was peace and not crisis because I come from a family that lived from crisis to crisis. But I look at trust a lot different now than I used to. I don't look at it as if it's in measurements that has to be paid back in full to exist anymore, where you'll hear people say, how can I trust you? It's going to take a long time. You've done so much. And I don't think you can go the same amount of time or have the same amount of effort put in so that trust is then restored. I don't think it's ever the same again. I think it can be rebuilt, but it's rebuilt completely different. And one of the things I had to come to understand is I always come back to this point. Once I came to know who I am, it changed everything in my life. I didn't let anybody hand me, you know, my identity or my confidence anymore. All of those areas began to heal and recover. Once I became, once I began to know who I am and began to build my worth and value and my dignity and my confidence, and that parlays into trust because once I became aware of who I am, I began to trust my intuition and I don't second guess myself anymore. So when it comes to issues of family who have, you know, stabbed me in the back or betrayed me or kept things a secret or friends that were a part of painful situations or casually kind of ridiculed situations that were painful to me, when it comes to all of those things, I don't have to restore my trust in them because I trust myself. So I know I'm going to have protection up when I walk into certain situations. Those vulnerabilities aren't there anymore. I tend to everything in me that it either damaged, affected, or wounded. And then I walk in wisdom and I either don't expose my back or I do and deal with it as it comes then because I trust myself and I've had to do the work to repair what trust broke. Interesting. Interesting. I, I hear you. I just, I have... I guess, personal struggles with this. Yeah, everybody does. Right, because I think that I blindly trusted the world and and I feel like I thought I knew who I was. And I do, I do have faith in myself, right? I do have this, I do have a sense of myself because I did grow up in actually a a relatively dysfunctional family. Right, I know. I did. Um, My mother suffered from severe mental illness. She eventually committed suicide. Parents were divorced. Life wasn't great after my mother's death. So I didn't, I, but what's interesting is growing up in that situation, I always had this sense of myself. I know this is, this is kind of odd, but I remember when things would happen to me, I would always say, no, I'm a really good person. 
No, I'm really good. Like, so just take, for example, I remember in my teenage years, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I lied a lot as a teenager, right? right? I did. I lied a lot. To kind of get out of trouble and the fear and all of that. That's on our previous podcast as well. Right. I was cornered. I was backed into a corner. You know, I was damned if I did, damned if I didn't. But I remember being punished or being called out on my lies. And I remember in the back of my head, there was always something saying, but you're not a bad person and you're not a liar. You're, you're actually, you're a really good person. And so I had this, I had this sense of myself. I had this sense that no, you know, I may be doing something. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm lying right now, but I do know that I'm not really a liar and I know in my future the lying will stop if that makes sense so I think for me when when all of this happened everything that I believed about the world came crashing down well I think I I have a little bit of a theory on why we feel invulnerable when that happens um I come from a background of insurance so we cover risk so I've had to do some field underwriting and you know you go inspect the house and you look for cracks in the foundation and you look for I can I go on walks even now and I'll catch myself noticing drainage on a roof and it means it probably needs to be replaced in the next couple years you have an eye for those details the railing on a porch and when you secure those things you lower the risk so the insurance premiums will lower with lowered risk because there's not a chance of calamity. Well, I think a lot of times in a middle America, especially when we, you know, and I did this with my son, I came from a dysfunctional family myself, but when it came to him, I tried to cover every risk. You know, no rated R movies in the home. There wasn't booze in the fridge. There wasn't men paraded through. I didn't have the wrong type of influence around him. I watched his friends. You didn't stay the night everywhere. I spoke against this. I spoke against that, you know, and you're not allowed. We don't accept this. We don't approve. There's consequences. I covered every risk. And when it got in anyway, when it gets in anyway, there's a huge shock Right. That is where trust breaks. Right. I, lo- I love that. I love that analogy. While I'm thinking about it, successful intervention strategies to help a loved one deal with his or her substance use are often counterintuitive. Our sponsor, alliesinrecovery.net, offers suggestions that have been proven effective in getting loved ones into treatment and helping them stay there while reducing the stress, blame, and guilt we so often feel. I encourage listeners to join alliesinrecovery.net today. So as you were saying... You talking about these types of situations, it does remind me very much when my when my son was growing up and he was struggling with like self-esteem issues and mental health, I honestly believed kind of kind of what you were saying. Yep. I honestly believed that if I loved him and I made everything absolutely perfect, I mothered him in the most perfect possible way, it would be his armor it would be what kept him safe. And you're right, once I, once I got to that point where I realized I could do all of this, yeah. I could kind of patch in all the cracks and make the, make the railings sturdy, but yeah. yet it's still, it's still seeped into our You set a strong foundation and yeah. you roof over and you surround and with a wall work. of protection. It doesn't matter. It gets, and it didn't matter. It can that still get in. Yeah. yeah, it can, yeah. the calamity can still come. The hurricane can still take right. you down. Life can still drop you to your knees in a moment. 
Right. And that's where, that is the end of the age of innocence as well. When we kind of have our, it, it sounds the alarms that I didn't cover the risk. And, you know, I'm going to add to that. I just was talking to somebody about this theory of mine the other day. I was trying to make sense of it to him as well. Um, a doctor and I were discussing why people feel invulnerable. Um, I think also that adds to stigma. Because if others can look at your family as having gone through it, they, prob- they, they tend to think, well, they didn't cover the risk. They, they didn't get something right. It's not going to happen to us because we've got a sturdier foundation. We've got that risk covered. But it doesn't matter because you don't know if you have the gene to be an addict until you consume a substance. And that substance could be alcohol or marijuana or a prescription right. a doctor gives you. You right. don't know that. So it can get in. I, and, you know, it's interesting. Today I hear or I see a lot of things written, and I've heard a lot of young parents talking about the opiate epidemic and saying things, parents that aren't yet involved may never be involved, but saying things like, well, that won't happen to me because I talked to my son or I yep. talked to my daughter and they guaranteed me, they said they would never try those drugs or they, you know. I, I have I a text even, message in my phone right now that says all of that, exa- those exact words. Right. And I, I have this woman who one time said, I love my child. Yeah. I love them and I'm going to talk to them. Just and, like the dad that told me your son's raised by a single mom, even no, we all got along great. And right. My son's not in a single parent home. So, and his son ended up losing a scholarship and in rehab. Right. And, and that's what I, that is kind of the message that I'm always trying to get across to people when I talk to them about prevention. It's, it's like, no, do you think, I mean, I guess this would be kind of patching up the holes in the house or fixing yeah. the railing. Do you think I didn't love my child that much? And do you think I didn't talk to him about drugs? Well, they must think it because they think I they're did. covering the risk. They right. think they're covering the risk and somehow right. you didn't. And, and it's like, no, you right. And, and I've ta- I keep telling them, I keep saying, no, we've got to go deeper than that. We've yeah. got to go deeper. We've got to go beyond. You've got to start telling your kids things that I didn't tell my kids. And what's different about what you're talking to your kids about than mine. And maybe, maybe even still, even patching the the holes a little bit farther or shoring up the, the beams and making them even stronger, even that might not work. It might not prevent it from happening to you too. It, right. Yeah. yeah. So that, I think that is where trust gets broken and it gets, it shocks us into the reality. Right. And I totally understand that. I agree with you. It absolutely contributes to the stigma. Because, oh, yes. Because also I think that I think that society tells us as parents that we do have to do this stuff, right? And that, and that if we fail at it, right, if, if it doesn't work, then it's something that we did. Yeah. Right? I mean, isn't that, that's, I talk about this all the time. I just had a conversation with someone the other day about how I had three children. My oldest daughter, you know, went through school and was a straight A student. She had a photographic memory. Yeah. Became a lawyer. And as she was going through school, everybody said, oh, you're such a good parent. What are you doing? Right. Oh my God. You're, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. Right. Then my son came along and, and he struggled with things. It wasn't easy for him. He was difficult. He didn't learn as easily. And I, and I don't mean book learning. I'm talking about learning about life. Common sense. And right. That, right. And, and it was very difficult to get him to even accept any kind of discipline and people. I heard so many 
awful negative comments directly to me and it's like what do you think I'm running a a, a, a social experiment right now and I decided my second child I wasn't going to parent him the way you know my successful parenting with my first yeah. child work but I want to try something different and then I had my my third child my youngest daughter and again very different than the other two a B student hard worker and again, I became, all of a sudden, I became this wonderful parent. And That's why you just can't believe the hype, whether it's right. terrible or it's a lot of praise. Right. You know, we, I went through that cycle with um, my ex-husband when it first occurred where we tried to figure out who was at fault or what was at fault. Yeah. And we did some things about, oh, we were, because we were divorced or, you know, it was always put on me that I was too strict or that, you know, the issues that his dad had in the early days of our marriage, things like that. Blame, blame, blame. And then the issues with my mom. And then finally we were like, we have to stop figuring out what's causational and who or what is to blame because right. that is a big, long delay from solution. So right. you, you move out of that. If you are goal oriented, and I tend to be solution oriented more than right. I want to spend much time, you know, getting down in the, into the dirty of causational, find out what the cause is so you can fix it. But you, people spend a lot of time on that. And like you said, that's surface. I want to level up and go deeper. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you. That's, that's exactly, that was my attitude too. Um, I think you and I are, are yeah. really similar in that way. It's like, you know what, it really kind of doesn't matter how we got here. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> We're here. And it's not about who did what and blaming. And because I also know that no matter what I did or my husband did, we always did it out of love. And we always, maybe I was strict and he was lenient or whatever, but, but both of us, our goals were the same. So we're here. Yeah, we're, we are in the middle of a burning house. Let's not figure out what caused the fire. Right. Maybe figure <laughs> that out later when we get into a solution. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Let's just go get some water or fire yeah. extinguishers. So yeah. I, I really think that's like the big picture of trust. And, you know, and then as far as in your relationship with, you know, your son specifically, not a lot of, uh, not everybody experiences the same amount of dis deception or betrayal or I had right. deception that involved my mom and most people don't have that and then some people don't have somebody stealing from them I know someone who lost their son to an overdose and he would have never stolen from anybody in the family but he'd go do petty crimes and steal from grocery stores right rather than hurt his family I mean every situation is as it's unique different. as a fingerprint yes right. but trust and you know it does get broken because it is a deceptive disorder and like I said I think trust absolutely can be rebuilt, but differently. And it's not linear. There is, it's not on the same time frame that it was broke. I always kind of look at the picture of things healing and recovery, like turning a ship. It's been gone and going in the wrong direction for some time now. It's not going to turn around overnight. It takes time. It's a process. Right. I'd like to remind our listeners, there is a wealth of information about topics related to substance use disorder on alliesinrecovery.net. Allies in Recovery is a private, members-only site that connects families with each other and teaches strategies for helping your loved one while protecting yourself. That's alliesinrecovery.net. Now back to the topic. I agree with you that because I think about my son now and I think, okay, he's in recovery for two years and I do I do trust him. You yeah, know, I, do, I do. I have trust in him that I do. And you trust yourself more. because you know your gut is going to tell you. You're going to have a feeling. And I think ultimately that's the key. Yeah, that's it is. The key. You have to trust yourself. Yes. I, I pulled a couple of paragraphs from psychology today when it comes to broken trust. And it's so funny that a lot, 
I, th- I sometimes would like to see more written about friendships where that go wrong or ba- b- friendships that break up or parent-child relationships. Everything seems to be often centered around couples, but I did find some stuff that was trust in general. And um, one thing I found, it, found helpful is that there was a paragraph that said in a Psychology Today article, trust means trust. It means I trust you because I can. It does not mean I trust you because I've hacked into your computer or installed spyware or have you hand over your phone or pee in a cup and see and prove to me you have nothing to hide. Trust means trust. A spot check to quell insecurity here or there is not at the, the end of the world, but doing it on a regular frantic basis shows a serious flaw in the situation as well as the character of both people. Interesting, interesting. Isn't that interesting? And we, I think we all know, and we've talked about it on several podcasts, and I've talked to every parent I know, has played the detective role. I played the, oh, I was yeah. an army of detectives on my own. So we've all played that. And eventually you realize I'm as sick as the situation doing this. Right. I, I trust you because I trust you, or I don't trust you and I secure the areas that have been violated. But either way, I can't, it's my job to forgive you, to love you, to find peace for myself, to be sane and my serenity is my job. It is not my job to chase every lead down and prove that there's something going wrong. Right. And yes, That's madness. I, I've done it. And you're right. It is madness. It is. And it's funny that this particular topic does come up in a lot of meetings that, um, that I've attended. And, you know, we talk about this issue of being this hypervigilant detective. Yeah, it's awful. Right. And, People will say, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I've calmed down. And then the next sentence out of their mm-hmm. mouth is, well, he came in and I was looking at his pupils and I was trying to figure out and, you know, I just sit back and smile. It's like, I know how you feel. I know exactly yeah. how you feel, right? Because you're not there yet. You're not, you don't trust. And I understand why. You know, I understand why, too. And it doesn't mean let situations go and ignore them and stick your head in the sand. It just means a different healthy way of setting standards. And I'm sorry, going about the situation. Right. Because right. really, what are you going to find? They're just going to get better at hiding things. And then if you do find it, what then? You have to have it can't be absolute thinking. We have to avoid all or nothing absolute thinking. Right. You know, and I that agree. Yeah, I, I agree with you. yeah, I do not like the word absolute anyway. I I. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think that you you cannot necessarily have absolute trust, no matter what. It could be three years, it could be five years out, and they're in recovery. And you may still be, if you suspect, I think you do have to try and prove to yourself whether you're right or you're wrong. But if you suspect, if you're getting a sense of something, then you're probably right. And if that's the case, the time, you know, then you have to make a decision. It's not a, it's not a chance or it's not a time when you should turn back into, into Mr. and Mrs. Uh, hyper detective, right? It's, it's a chance to kind of change the plan. Okay. I think we're back in crisis again. I think I've got to, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a little bit of a breath and I'm going to think, okay, I've got a plan laid out previously. I'm going to You know, whether I've got it stored on my computer or, you know, I wrote it down on a sheet of paper, I'm going to pull it up. What am I going to do? Who am I going to call? Who am I going to call? You know, that's when your your toolbox of wellness comes into place. I call my therapist. I call my sponsor. I call my best friend. I call my sister. I hold an ice cube till it melts. I get into my therapy books. I meditate. That's when you get into your, you go back through the cycle of wellness that's in place. And I have a question for, you know, if I'm, if I'm running the race, trying to prove somebody trustworthy 
or untrustworthy because that's really what it is. You're trying to catch something or you're trying to go for a span of time not catching something because that's proving trust. But step back from that. Step out of that. And what can I trust? I can trust the process. I can trust that it's a process. Life is a process. Recovery, wellness, it's a process. I can trust recovery. And that means working on myself and all of my areas of wellness. And I can trust peace. Because if I don't have peace, and I don't mean old triggers of paranoia and woundedness. I mean, if something is jarring, you know, I read this book called The Gift of Fear that talks about trusting our instincts. And the man in the book talked about how there was a woman that would walk into every, get out of her car and always had her keys in the ready position to punch somebody in every neighborhood. And when you're like that, you are not going on instinct. So you're just expecting something to happen. You never know. Your body's not able to alert you that it's going to. But by the same token, if you have things in place that are ready, if you have to defend yourself and you can get to them quickly, but you're not on hyper alert, your instincts can speak to you and you'll feel that hair raise up on the back of your neck and you'll feel that something's wrong or, you know, you have a flash that comes through your mind. It's, it's a still small voice or an odd feeling, you know, maybe sometimes before you get into a car accident or somebody gives you a wrong feeling. Those are instincts. I trust my peace when it comes to that. And that's all part of coming to know who you are again and not being so, you know, hyper-focused on the stress and everyone around you. That was another part of that Psychology Today article. You know, it said, take the time to stop focusing on what your loved one is doing, has done, might do, could do, would do, and think about you. Do you really want to live this way? Do you want to be the teacher, the guidance counselor, the detective, the prison warden, the international spy? Take inventory (laughs) of your life and figure out how you want to live it and start there. Right. And you can't get rid of those feelings. You can't get rid of that that awful uh, pain in your chest and awful gut feeling and the feeling of tears and crying until you can get to that point where you say, okay, I am going to have at least moments of peace in my day. I'm not going to be the hyper detective, even if it's just for 10 minutes, just, you know, just that's a start. That's a great start. Just, just start just little pieces at a time, right? And I agree with you. You, that, That's the only way. It's the only way to get rid it of really that. It really is. Yeah. My, um, there's a, I read the Sesh book, which is um, a daily reader by Naranon. It's the Sharing Experience, Strength, Strength, and Hope for Families. And the daily reader is so good. And for October 7th, there is a reader that talks about drawing that circle around your feet. And I know I've talked about that before. Yeah. My son's girlfriend calls it your hula hoop. What's inside your hula hoop is where your work is. Everything outside of it, you're not meant to work on. If somebody comes into your hula hoop that's when you your boundaries are crossed but you are that your work is there you don't reach outside of that circle around your feet your work is there so I trust the instincts that are occurring inside there I don't need to chase somebody down for a certain amount of time prove that they're either doing something wrong or because they're not they're trustworthy right Totally agree. <laughs> I think it's it's pretty valid, powerful points, though, because this is a big area that you struggle with. And I think that we can have some peace and relief in this area if we kind of start to adjust it and look at it different. Trust is, I, I think it's a big, huge topic. It is. Especially it is. with substance use. And yes, and you know, I got to say it's been life-changing for me when I learned to figure out who I am and pay attention to what's inside my circle and trust myself. It's it's been life-changing because I got off that roller coaster of I've been betrayed by a a lot of people close to me. You know, it's life. It happens. The decent ones make it right, and they're sorry. And, you know, I'm I'm sure I've hurt people as well. 
It's going to happen. It's a part of life. We can't spend the rest of our life huddled over getting more and more bitter and paranoid and not trustworthy and lashing out and with a poisoned spirit because trust has been broken. Right. And I don't want to be a fool either, but I want to live right. my life at peace. Right. But it's usually the people that are telling you to trust yourself that are the people that you want to keep in your life. Oh, thank you. You know, I got to say, I had somebody say to me a couple of weeks ago, I don't trust anyone, you know, in, in relationship to somebody just kind of like that we both mutually know. And I said, well, I would, ne- I, don't, I never tell anybody to trust this person or that person. I don't even tell anybody to trust me. I always say, trust yourself, right. trust your intuition. If it's telling you something's off with me, it, maybe it is. Maybe I know it it's, is. I know my motives are not bad. So right. you're probably off, but no, I'm just, but <laughs> seriously, trust yourself because yes, who I am I to ever tell somebody to speak against their intuition? I will back out of that right now because right. I'm going to trust myself. Right. I agree. Yeah. So that's the way to go in my opinion. So next, until next time, coming up for air. Coming up for air. Bye-bye, Annie. I'll Bye-bye. see you next week. Alrighty. See ya. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up For Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online. Or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up For Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, .net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey. 